Hello, welcome to the Inside a Mind of a 12-Year-Old Nerd podcast. This is the second episode. Um, so, today I think I want to focus on more science stuff. One of the questions I was thinking about to myself earlier was, like, what will the world look like in 2050? So, 2050 is 30 years away. And, you know, the world will definitely look extremely different. So, my question was really focused on, like, climate change, you know? Uh, Because it's almost impossible to predict technology. Like, I can guess some things. Like, we'll probably have landed on Mars with a human. A private company will definitely have gotten to uh, the moon and beyond. And I think those are definitely in our sights for 2050. But when it comes to climate change, I think our planet could look completely different. Um, A few months ago, I was reading this Times News article about how life might look like in a good scenario in 2050 with climate change. And even then, it was like coastal areas, especially near the equator, would just had to, you had to get out of there. Like in the west coast and the east coast of Africa, um, in South America, Latin America, like Central America, uh, and like parts of the Philippines and uh, what would you call that area? Oceania, but not like Australia. You just, you, actually Australia too. People just couldn't live there. It would just, it got like five degrees hotter. And though for humans, five degrees Fahrenheit isn't a big deal for animals and plants. They grew to exist in this very small range of climate, which barely ever changes. So any change is a major change for them. And I was really curious on that. Like, it's the world that I'm going to be living in and that my kids are going to be living in in 2050. And it's important to me that everybody tries to make that world as good for them as this world is for us. So, of course, I don't mean perfect. I, I don't expect any world to be completely perfect, but I just want it to be good. Good enough to like, to have security, you know? That they're not worried about overcrowding or finding food. And a lot of the problem is also overpopulation. And the solution to that is a lot harder, in my opinion, than the solution to climate change. Because how do you stop people from having children? Like I said in the last podcast, I think that there are certain inalienable rights, and I do think that one of those rights is the right to have children. So I don't think you should take that away. But at the same time, people having too many children directly leads to a decreased quality of life for everybody else. In the last 50 years, the population has more than doubled. And the food production has not doubled. And technology for a long time sped up 
as fast, if not faster as, po as population. But that's not going to be true anymore. Obviously, the rate of technology is going, the rate of technology improvement is going to speed up as needs and as the amount of people working on it, which of course will grow with the more people being born, increases, there's going to be a higher rate of change in technology. But compared to the population change, it's still going to be minuscule. And that, that will definitely be a major problem. Because if you don't have food, there's not really anything you can do at all. And I think, like, there really isn't a solution to that. Because you can't take away the people's rights to have kids. Your other options are, like, not good. You can't take away their right to have kids. You stop people from having food, which makes them less likely to have kids. But that's bad. You can just, like, ask people not to have kids. Which, like, I think people are just going to ignore. You're gonna, you could set up pro, uh, political programs for children, encouraging them not to have children, you know? But um, I think that also just feels a bit too governmental. And this is the one scenario where I lean more authoritarian because it's, in, it's vital more than a couple of rights because this is not just like the the threat of a terrorist attack which is major like it's not a good thing but at worst if there's one terrorist attack a year that's like 500 or a thousand more people die which is a terrible tragedy tragedy but it isn't in comparison to the hundreds of thousands or millions of people who will die from overpopulation and lack of food. So this is one scenario where I think the change in the, you know, the right to live, the change in your safety and security is completely different than it is in most scenarios. And also where I don't lean super classical libertarian because the, the, the founding fathers didn't know about climate change and they thought and they didn't really think about overpopulation uh, so those weren't major issues that they were facing so in that sense it is important for the government to minimize their part but in the world we live in now that's just not true but like, like I said there isn't a solution Either the, there's a ton of government, in which case you might be able to stop climate change if that government is very eco-friendly, and you might be able to stop overcrowding and increase the rate of food production. But I don't like large governments because they take away from other rights. And so, like, are we having an authoritarian system where the government is solely focused on ecological situations like like an eco-authoritarian system and that's what I'm closest to being in favor of I think the government should like get out the way in everything that doesn't include stopping these major threats to not only national uh, national security
but global livelihood. And that's the only situation where I think a larger government is better. And that brings me to a point about the U.S. specifically. Because I wonder, like, how much longer will the U.S. be a country? Because right now it seems like there's a lot of turmoil to the point where in the next five years there could be a civil war, right? I don't think there will be. That seems unlikely. Because at this point, like, the, the economies are too connected. It's not like the former civil war where they each had their ideologies and were trying to force their economic system uh, to each other but that's not true here and not many wars if you go back in time were raged for solely cultural reasons and had no economy in the background or negative economic effects because those are dumb wars to do and I think it will have negative economic effects if the USA tries to like start a war with itself but i do think that the united states will split up in some matter within the next 100 to 200 years because there's just too much of a divide and i don't think it will be in war though i don't see any situation where it ends in anything other than violence and bloodshed so it's like in this middle ground where I don't think a war is like a full-blown war is going to happen but I don't see either side letting the other side go without a fight so maybe there will be a war not because it's logical but for the pride and the ego of each side and obviously when I mean side I mean the division between conservatives and liberals or Democrats and Republicans. They mean the same thing uh, for most people. Like if you ask somebody what's the difference between a liberal and a Democrat, they will say that those two things are the same thing. While in actual politics, they're pretty different. <laughs> like uh, a, a Democrat is just someone who believes in democracy. But I guess, I'm not sure. Where does like, do Democrats land in the political spectrum? Because I know everything's like centrist, but they're obviously gonna be more left-wing. But I think most Democrats are still right-wing because they're still capitalists. They're not like in laborism. I'm back to talking about politics, by the way. About, well, the question is very political. It's like, when will the world, when will the United States split up? And the only situation where I see the United States splitting up or, like, not being seen in the form it is today, which I mean, like, the area between current-day Mexico and current-day Canada being filled all with one United States. Because I think, in any regard, some form of the United States will live on, even if it's, like, just the Northeast or whatever. I don't think the name the United States is going to go away. That just seems unlikely. But I do think that the United States will not be seen in the way it's seen today, at least power-wise, fairly soon, if it doesn't split up entirely. 
because China, China has more people and can speed, like I said, technology, tech advancement and people, that's like a one-to-one -one correlation. But even more than people is the literary, literacy percentage of the people or like the total people who are well-educated. Because if you have educated people, there's going to be more tech advancements. That's why even though in like the 1900s, there were countries that had more people than Russia and America, Russia and America had the most educated people. So they were at the front of the sciences and the innovation. But China is reaching that point where they are having more and more educated people and that becomes a threat to America's position as not only the most influential country in the world but honestly the most important from a global political or a global economic or a global really anything standpoint. Not to be crazy nationalist. <laughs> Doesn't mean America's better. Like I said, we have our issues. Um, and I think like globally, humanity might regress. And I'm not talking about in like 2050. I mean like 2100, 2200. When uh, climate change has reached a point, I think humanity might start going backwards instead of forwards. Because at a point, overpopulation becomes so big of an issue that any rights to any, like, the right to have food and clean water and living space, and those rights lead to things, those rights lead to things like people being educated and innovations. And those innovations are very, very important to the rest of society and the improvements of, uh, you know, everybody. And that brings me to my point. Well, like I was saying about humans regressing, as, like, we overcrowd and there's a ton of people in a small space, we're going to have less ability to make innovations. So we're going to start taking steps backwards. And for a while, we're going to be stagnant. But I think it's going to look like a parabola. So, you know, right now, we're in like the sharp upward bit. Where we're like, well, dandy. You know? Actually, more. More than that, it will look almost like a sine wave. Right now, we're at the up bit. Then we'll reach a neutral point. Then we'll go down. Then we'll go back up. All while we try to balance all these different aspects of life and social systems and all of that. It, it just, I feel like it reaches a point where it's like, this is the equilibrium. And then it starts going down as overcrowding reaches a point even higher than that. And the ability for new innovations to happen does not match with other parts of society, which means the quality of life decreases. And I don't know when we will reach that point, when we will reach the maximum of the graph, but I feel like it might be soon.
not soon, like in the next 10 years or 20 years, but in the next 100 or 200. And though that's like past anybody who's watching this or listening to this when it came out, it's their entire lifespan, it's still recent. Like think about 200 years ago. 200 years ago was the 1820s. I know that seems like a long time ago, but like the 1820s were extremely recent. Extremely recent. I'm sure I could name somebody who was born in the 1820s, which would make like your minds blow, but I don't really know many people born in the 1820s. But that is like really, that's, that's, it feels technology wise. Actually, let me give you a greater, a better example. 200 years is like the time between, I don't know, 0 BC and 200. Could, can you name me like 10 things that happened then? You might be able to name like four, but in those 200 years, nothing happened. And I think within the next 200 years, we're gonna go from complete economic advancement and uh, innovation advancements and technological advancements to a point in which we've reached the maximum and we're kinda at equilibrium to going down. So that is like fast, <laughs> to say the least. That is very fast. And that, that worries me. The fact that within the next 200 years, I personally think that we will start getting worse. And I think in 200 years, we won't be back to the point we are now. We'll improve enough before we reach the maximum so that we don't go back to now. So I don't think it's like the end of the world, but I don't think it's great to say the least. <laughs> Um, another thing I was wondering about is who is the best scientist or inventor or mathematician ever? Like all of those combined, because I know a lot of people do like all three or a lot of them. And the things that come to mind are obviously Einstein and Newton and Euler and Nikola Tesla and the other like guy. Um, and I think, like, in a lot of ways, I'd have to go with someone like Newton, because not only w was his ideas fundamental to, like, physics for 200 years, but also calculus is fundamental to math up to this point. And having not one, but two in uh, ideas that completely shaped the the next 200 years of humanity, that's something else. And Einstein, like, obviously, his effects on physics were insane. And the way he could think about special relativity and general relativity and E equals MC squared. All of that is extremely impressive. But Newton did it basically twice. He had that same effect on physics and then an equal effect on mathematics. And that's just like, you can't touch somebody who's 
that impressive in his feats. Um, and there's nobody else like I can really think of. Like you could go back to some of the like Pythagoras and stuff, and like the one um the guy who invented algebra, Alcavarzi. Uh, and they were impressive, obviously, but nobody did it like Newton did. Nobody did it like Newton did. If you believe that Newton invented uh, calculus, because it's very possible that he didn't invent it and that he stole it, or that two people just happened to invent it at the same time. Because, like, it's not just like, obviously, if two people just randomly invented it at the same time, it would be like, that's not, that's not true. But there were many steps by many other mathematicians that brought it to a point where we were kind of already at the edge of calculus. They just kind of had to fit the puzzle pieces together. Like the end of Euler type strict laws, fundamental rules of mathematics, and more to broader terms like infinity becoming as equally important to mathematics as they are useful in real life. And that's that was a big change. And that combined with just like the fundamental ideas from many other mathematicians, which led to points of like understanding that limits and stuff, like how they proved pi r squared is the area of a a circle. All of that is very, very interesting. And as they divide that up and they reach the limit of dividing up a circle, they're very close to calculus. You just have to put that in a few other situations and you've got calculus and give it a few names, you've got calculus. <clears throat> but I won't act like I'm an expert in calculus. I know what an integral is. I know what a derivative is. I can do the most basic of uh, calculus problems, but once you get past that, like, I'm not really sure about anything. Going back to um, Einstein, is he a is Dr. Einstein? Yes, Dr. Einstein. He, uh, special relativity and general relativity are still confusing to me. I think I talked about this last podcast, but. I really do want to know and understand what's it with general relativity. Because that's fundamental to the ideas of gravity. And I heard a great like quote about special relativity and general relativity. It's like going from your whole life believing that the earth is flat to somebody telling you the earth is round. Because you kind of have to change your ideas about everything. Just the idea of gravity and the idea of everything happening at the same time. You just have to completely change all of those ideas. For example, if you see two things happen at the same time, from a different perspective, those things did not happen at the same time. As in from somebody who's going really fast. 
And that's weird because you think of time as a stable thing, like time doesn't change, right? Time is constant. But no, time isn't the one thing that is constant in the universe. The speed of light is. Also, is the speed of light constant? Because this is something that confused me. Uh, obviously, you hear the speed of light is constant. It's always this value. But then I heard that when light is in water, it moves differently because it slows down. And if the speed of light is constant, then by definition, it should not slow down. I, I know, because whenever they say the speed of light is constant, they say the speed of light is constant in a vacuum. So other mass affects the speed of light. Uh, but like, if there was a bullet train with lights on it, and it flashed those lights straight up, the speed of light would still be the speed of light. Even when it's being shot at of a bullet train going a thousand miles per second. Because that would just be a thousand miles per second. Because normally, like, if somebody on that bullet train threw a ball in a vacuum, that ball would be going the, let's say, the one meter a second the ball thrown was at, plus the a thousand miles per second that the bullet train has. But, and that, but light doesn't work like that. If someone flashes flashlight on top of that bullet train, the speed, the light in that, coming out of that flashlight would be the same exact speed going all the way through. So I think that's like what they mean. They don't mean it's constant as in it doesn't get affected by things. Cause that wouldn't make sense. It just can't not be affected by a brick wall, you know? It would literally be like a super powerful laser if it just is constant even when it hits a brick wall. It just goes right through that thing. <laughs> no, that would break all laws of physics. Instead of working with them. Um. Yeah, physics is very interesting. It makes me think about like nature versus nurture because I'm above average in intelligence and sometimes I feel like it's not my right to be proud of the fact that I'm above average in intelligence because I'm not above average in intelligence for anything I did. I don't have a high IQ for anything I did. I was just born this way. But then you go to a situation where like going to nature and nurture you don't have an effect on either of those variables and if those are the two main variables that affect everything you do in life do you have the right to be proud of anything and this fundamentally is kind of a free will question because obviously if you have free will and you decide to do something good you should be in some regards proud of yourself for doing that because it was your choice and you made the objectively good one in this hypothetical situation but since there's no proof for free will i guess 
like, until further notice, you should be proud about nothing. I definitely think free will exists. But that doesn't mean I should be proud about my intelligence. Because I didn't cause my intelligence. Maybe I shouldn't be proud about my intelligence, but I'm a I should be proud about feats that would wouldn't be possible without me plus my intelligence. So like, I shouldn't be proud that I'm smart, but I should be proud that I'm smart and I was able to get this score on the SAT, or that I'm smart and I know the atomic weights of every element in the periodic table, which I will never know, but I do know the Leonardo da Vinci number or Espagoza number or whatever it's called, 6.022 times 10 to the power of 23. And you times that by the atomic weight to get the amount of grams. The atomic weight of, um, um, what's it called? What's it called? The atomic weight of hydrogen is 1.008. And the atomic weight of helium, I think, is one point no sixteen? I don't know anything other than those two because I think those two are the easiest to remember. Probably should know things like oxygen and like the average atomic weight of water, which would be two times hydrogen times oxygen, or two times hydrogen plus oxygen, because those are just useful things to know. But should I be proud that I know that? Because I, I wouldn't, like, just because I have a high IQ doesn't mean I know the atomic weight of hydrogen, you know? That's not something you're born with the knowledge of. But it wouldn't be possible without my intelligence. So at what point should I just be like, I only know this because I was born smart? I don't know the answer to that question either. Raising a lot of questions that I don't know the answer to. Um. Yeah, I have no idea. I think that you should be proud of everything that you accomplish. You should be proud that you're gay, for example. But you should be proud that you accomplished the feat of coming out the closet, because that's a hard thing to do. You shouldn't be proud that you're black, but you should be proud that you're black and poor. No, you should be proud that you're black and you support and are within your culture without being the fine by the negative stereotypes that other races might give to you. Because you didn't choose to be black, but you chose to not let black define you, while you're also harnessing that part of your culture. And I think that's where you should be proud of. So changing that to like my intelligence, which is what this conversation is kind of framed around, I shouldn't be I should be proud that I'm intelligent, but I should be proud that I'm intelligent and I use that intelligence to the best of my ability to 
be to make that intelligence into knowledge. And I'm proud about myself for doing it. Because I think I've done a pretty good job. Um, in a much more lighter turn, in a complete side note, who is the most popular president? Who is it? It's probably not Barack Obama, President Trump, or any of the presidents in the past 20 years. Probably also not Ronald Reagan or Jimmy Carter. I would guess probably Abraham Lincoln, because like, Anybody can say they like Abraham Lincoln, and nobody's gonna be like, well, wh why do you like Abraham Lincoln? While you could see arguments for other presidents, like somebody, if you say George Washington, someone might be like, but George Washington had slaves. Are you racist? Which I don't agree with, because I don't think, I don't think, ooh, that's a hard question. Was every slave owner racist? I might come back to that question in a different podcast to get some different opinions from different people. But let's just assume that being a slave owner doesn't make you racist. Actually, that's kind of fundamental to the ideas of whether or not uh, George Washington was a good person. Because being racist is bad. <laughs> Uh, but I think, like, Abraham Lincoln is kind of unequivocally a good go a good president, you know? He's popular, for sure. I could also see it being someone like John F. Kennedy. Because I don't think there's really any controversy. He's just some, like, rich guy who was president. Uh, and then got assassinated. He brought us to the moon. Everybody kind of just, like, likes him, you know? He's pretty popular. For the same reason I could see it being Theodore Roosevelt because of all of the nature stuff. But I do think it definitely comes down to George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. And I would give the nod to Abraham Lincoln. But it's definitely a close race. I wonder if you plot the top most popular president by state, what would it look like? Maybe in like eastern state states it leans more George Washington? Or maybe in southern states it means more George Washington? Uh, Eastern, because that's where the Union was founded, so it has the most historical ties with George Washington. And southern, because it had, its economy was built upon slavery. So the other guy, <laughs> doesn't have the best reputation like I do I, I think he's cool like I don't think people from the south hate him like the general southern public hate him but I just don't think I think if they have any reason to put him below someone else they might <laughs> you know so that would be what I, I think that's definitely what I would think Abraham Lincoln just by a nod like, if they had an election, whew, it would be a heated election, you know? It might be, like, one state deciding it, you know? I think it could be really close.
It might be one of those things where Abraham Lincoln, like the Hillary Clinton, uh, Donald Trump election, where Abraham Lincoln has the like public vote. There's more people who voted for him, but because people with uh, states with less people have more of a poll per person than states with more people, uh, that they might nod nod it out and give it to somebody like uh, what's his name? They might give it to George Washington if there was an election, which obviously would never happen because they're both dead. I'm not ending this podcast in death again. Shit. <laughs> um, I don't really... Oh, here's another very light topic. Two in a row. Uh, at what age is the average American the richest? You can knock off 0 to 18. Unlikely. I also think 70 plus, most of them don't save up. Actually, 65 plus. Don't think it is. Uh, early 20s, no. Late 20s, probably still no. You can make an argument for 30s, but I just don't think that the average American has done enough in their life to be the richest in their 30s. I would probably give it to 40s, maybe 50s. Those seem like the times and places where the average American would be the richest. And I don't mean like, I mean like any given American would have the most money in their life at that point in time. But that's another question that would be good to ask a ton of different people. See what the public opinion is. Um, update on... Actually, I don't have anything to update on. Life's great. Doing well. Days go by fast. Weeks go by slow. Months go by fast. Actually, no. Days go by fast. Weeks go by slow. Months go by slow. But years go by fast. Does that make sense? Decades also go by fast. Like, if you ask me what happened in 2013, I'd be like, I think I went to a chocolate buffet. Of course, I was four. So, (laughs) you know. But if you ask me, like, what happened in 2017, I'll say... Donald Trump was president, but that I don't know that because I was eight. What grade was I in in eighth grade? That's weird. I don't remember things based off my age, but I remember things based off my grade. So what what grade was I in in eighth grade? I mean, in <laughs> at eight years old. If I'm twelve now, that means five was when I started school. I'm in seventh grade now. Uh, subtract five from eight. I'd be in third grade. Uh, in third grade, my teachers were, shit, I learned German in third grade, I think. Um, I had, no, that was fourth grade. I think I had two teachers I did not like. And I don't think I really did anything third grade. I guess 2017 was an uneventful year. I did nothing. It was just second grade part two, but this time I have worse teachers. 
I got two report cards. At my old school, uh, report cards were like this thing you got. So that were like a punishment. And it was like really bad. Uh, you get three report cards in a semester. No more field trips. Uh, that was the only punishment. <laughs> so I guess it wasn't the worst case scenario. But I got two report cards. The first one, valid enough, vandalism. Uh, the second one was because I was talking in class. And I was like, there's no way this is a report card allowed offense. I was just talking to someone. I was just having a chit chat, talking it up. And like the teacher told me, Amara, do your work, stop talking. And I ignored her twice. But still, I don't think it, it was necessary to give me a report card. Report cards were bad. Bad to the bone. Boom, boom. Bad to the bone. Boom, boom. Bad to the bone. Okay, I'm gonna stop saying it. So, you know, I'm not gonna give any more context to the vandalism one. Just pretend I did any amount of vandalism. <laughs> and that's weird, because, like, most years of my life, I remember less about them than I remember about the past day. But a week from now, I will know nothing about today. I won't remember how I felt like when I ran my first mile of, like, a two-and-a-half-mile run. I won't remember how it felt at the end of first period. I was extremely happy at the end of first period. This record will live on forever, that's nice. And I think that's one reason I might start a journal. Because with a journal, you can always look back and remember those small details. And I don't think I would really say anything but like those small details. Try to like recollect some memories in my mind. Because I think that's important. Living your life to the fullest involves going back and remembering your life. We're not, I promise you, we're not ending on a sad note today. So we're gonna do something fun. I'm spinning my chair, I'm spinning my chair. I know it's an audio only podcast, so I have to say that. Um, <laughs> we're gonna be doing Guess if I have that book. First one, do you think I own the book Tangerine by Edward Bloor? Five, four, three, two, one. No, the school owns it. Probably never heard of that book. Um, okay. I'm, I'm just to like nod some things out. I'm an atheist. I don't think religion is bad. I just, it's not for me. You know, not now. I'm 12. I have time to live my life as an atheist. And if any religion draws me, I will join it. But I think like my grandpa once said, uh, I am not going to be able to be tied down. I will be, I will only be able to define myself as myself. I'll never be known as Amara, that one Christian kid. 
Actually, I'm already low-key known as a more of that one smart kid. But when defining my own ideology, ideologies and my own thoughts, it won't be groupthink, it won't be hive mind, it'll be Amora the libertarian who has some Mandela beliefs and thinks in certain situations an authoritarian government would be good for the nature and that labor and unions are important for a proper working capitalist society, but capitalism should still reign three as the main system because unions are important in some scenarios. And when it comes to like my philosophy, it'll be Amara, the pragmatist, who also is kind of like a stoic, but who also believes you should live life to the fullest. Um, and that's just always how I'm gonna define myself. Uh, buy my subscription boxes when they come out. I'm working on them. They should be out by mid-February. They will cost $20 a month and have a ton of nicks and gadgets from things that I do. The link to them should be once they come out in the bio of the podcast. Stay popping, y'all. Peace. Ah.